as we gather today, and perhaps you've looked at the news uh, since last night, and just as we flick through and perhaps check up on stuff or on the TV, we meet very much in grief for our wounded world, and particularly the people of Ukraine under still sustained bombing and attacks from Russia. And we see these sibling peoples uh, so sadly torn apart. That killing of innocent men and women and children going about their daily lives in places of help like hospitals and schools and also places of worship. Hearing about a mosque that's just been bombed and places of worship and prayer too. And that strikes at the very heart, doesn't it, of the freedoms that we hold dear in this land too. And freedoms, of course, we must never take for granted as we gather today. You, like me, may have seen many videos and news reports of Ukrainians gathering to pray and to sing, uh, to lament and to grieve together. Um, there are people mostly of, I think, about two-thirds of Orthodox Christian faith and dating back to the foundation of Christianity in their capital, Kiev, in the 10th century, 988 was the year. And of course, we're so aware that since then, there have been 11 centuries of changes of borders, the rising and falling of empires, movements of nationalism for good or for ill, right down to our time. We know it's a hugely complicated patchwork uh, with no easy answers. But when we see Ukrainians praying and pleading for their country, this touches us too, as people who gather week by week to worship and pray ourselves. So perhaps the best thing we can do is, as we're here today, to exercise that freedom that we have to gather and to worship and to pray for our grieving and suffering brothers and sisters and to be in solidarity with them and to pray that the Holy Spirit, that tide of the wairua of God, the comforter, will brood over our world and bring strength and hope to live into the future together, whatever it holds. So we turn to our scriptures and we seek for God to speak to us with whatever words we have uh, for us today. And we have just a very short uh, gospel reading as we heard halfway through Luke's gospel. We're still jump, jumping around a bit at the moment. But it shows us that Jesus knew what it was to face opposition to his ministry. And indeed, he knew what it was to be in danger for his very life. Some Pharisees, interestingly enough, come and warn Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, it's interesting that we're so used to seeing Jesus and the Pharisees engaged in rather vigorous debate. Let's be reminded, here's a hint that there are, of course, uh, as just with us, good Pharisees and, and, you know, like us human beings, there's good parts to us, there's not so good parts, there's strengths and weaknesses. And here are some who sincerely believe that Jesus has a message for them and they're on Jesus' side. And we may not sort of know all the ins and outs of that, but there's nothing nuanced about Jesus' response to them. As he says, go and tell that fox for me. I think Lynette found this lovely fox. 
Um, it is a beautiful fox, but it's got that hint, hasn't it, of the cunning and even the menace. Now, calling someone that fox is not perhaps the best way to win fr friends and influence people. Someone was reminding me the other day that silver foxes are actually quite an in thing, but uh, that's, that's another neck of the woods. But here, uh, Jesus is referring to Herod Antipas. He was the ruler of Galilee, and he was really just, a, he wasn't really a king, he was a client king. Uh, to the Roman Empire. He was the son of the great Herod the Great of Jesus' birth time, but now, of course, um, he's really a sort of a tin pot uh, dictator ruler. And we know he'd already had John the Baptist beheaded, and now it seemed intended the same fate for Jesus. And I think what strikes us here is Jesus' holy boldness in the face of this world's religious and political authorities. So Herod may be just a sort of a tin pot little self-proclaimed monarch, but he has killed John the Baptist and is now making threats on the life of Jesus. But Jesus is equally clear and focused about how he sees himself and his calling. And he says, I am still at work. I am casting out demons, performing cures and healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, big hint there, I finish my work. And I think, and I'm hoping that Richard's sitting there with the Greek today, and I'm hoping I'm getting it right, that that word, I will finish my course or finish my work, is linked with the very word that Jesus would say from the cross in John's gospel. Do you remember at the very end, he says, not it is finished in despair, but it is accomplished the work that I've come to do. Richard, am I getting it vaguely right with the Greek? <laughs> That's a relief. Okay, thank you. So more than this, today, tomorrow, and the next day, the third day, I must be on my way. It is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. That word must occurs often in the Gospels. And we see that as reflecting divine necessity. This is what must happen according to God's overarching plan. But you could say, well, is Jesus just some sort of passive pawn in God's hand? Is he just a puppet on a string for God to play with? No. Jesus sees himself here, very strongly here, as a prophet following in the footsteps of so many other prophets sent by God to call his people back to relationship, that covenant relationship made with them at the time of God's sovereign call to Abraham and Sarah to be the forerunners of a people set apart and belonging to God. And of course, as we know, Jews and Christians and Muslims all together claim to be the descendants of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and indeed, while I lived in Wellington, I attended a number of gatherings organized by the Wellington Abrahamic Council, as it was called, where Jews and Christians and Muslims would meet and sit together and discuss our different approaches to areas of faith, look at the, our scriptures together in an atmosphere of respect and seek to learn from one another and to get to know one another better. So Jesus is realizing that he will experience the fate of so many prophets before him. He will experience rejection and ultimately death. 
but that is all part of the work that he's been called and commissioned to do. God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. And so here we have that picture of Jesus who's very focused, driven, we might say, in his determination that human powers will not stop him completing his ministry of healing and restoring and declaring God's kingdom, that mission that he's been given by God until it is finished, until it is accomplished, even if it is finished, will be said from the cross. So what a contrast then between the fox and the other picture, which I think the children are working with this morning, uh, that we receive from Jesus in this gospel reading. And that's of the mother hen with the chickens. And if we just pop on to the next picture, we'll move from foxes to chickens. Um, this is one of my favorite depictions of, um, of this image of Jesus in the wilderness and by the British um, 20th century artist, Stanley Spencer. And he had, he had a project of, he wanted to paint 40 paintings of Jesus in the wilderness for Lent, uh, like one for each day of Lent. And in the end, actually, in his lifetime, he only managed to complete eight paintings, but they're very beautiful. And if you're ever in Perth, go and see them at the art gallery um, in, in Perth. And um, there's been a lovely book put together of these paintings too, and that's helped me to reflect on them. And this is the last one, the last painting he produced, Jesus in the Wilderness, the Hen, and clearly based right on today's gospel reading. So there's Jesus lying on the ground, propped up on his elbow, gazing at a hen with her chickens, nestling in the hollow made by Jesus' body. And Jesus' poignant lament over Jerusalem, he says, how often... Have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. It's so poignant, isn't it? And it's a wonderful and bittersweet reflection of God's longing that we find ourselves gathered into the safe embrace of God, who's a loving parent to us. And a God who longs to gather that whole divided and scattered creation into a new creation held together in God's love. And I find that very moving in the way that picture encourages us to put ourselves too in that place of being gathered into Christ, just as the hen is enveloped and protected, held in safety there. And tragic events such as we're experiencing in our world mean that we are assailed uh, just hour by hour by a myriad of conflicting emotions, aren't we? And we can often feel so powerless. And our thoughts and feelings too can be so scattered and fragmented and all over the place, uh, just like chickens scattering in all directions when they get a fright. What I hope and pray that our Christian faith gives us and those Christians around the world and people of faith at a time like this is a place of gradually pulling things back together and healing the broken and scattered fragments of our lives and world and putting us back together in a way of finding security in the love of God and loving community together. And that, I think, is the best hope that we can pray for what we as churches and people of faith pray for our suffering world at this time. That image of the mother bird providing safe haven for her children and her chickens is a familiar one from the scriptures. 
Jesus' words would have resonated with those who knew the beautiful words from Deuteronomy, uh, talking about God's care from Israel, this time as an eagle, uh, like our eagle here, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young as it spreads out its wings, takes them up and bears them aloft on its pinions, the Lord guided his people. And also in the Psalms, Psalm 57, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. Psalm 91, which is a favorite read of many, God will cover you with his pinions, under his wings you will find refuge. Jesus, as the mother hen with the chickens, is a maternal image that was not unfamiliar, actually, to those within our church's tradition as well. Uh, right back in the 11th century, the Archbishop of Canterbury was Anselm, and he wrote this. Jesus, like a mother, you gather your people to you, and you are gentle with us as a mother is gentle with her children. And then in the 14th century, the English woman mystic Julian of Norwich, the first woman to write in the English language that we have, she said, God chose to be our mother in all things, just as our mothers bear us for pain and for death. Our true mother, Jesus, bears us for joy and for endless life. Jesus, like a mother, you gather your people to you. Let's just come back to our picture and just note uh, a few more details you might not have noticed. Can you see right at the top of the slide, there are in fact some more hens there, uh, at least three. What are they doing there? Are they, are they roosters sort of patrolling the boundaries? Are they prowling around trying to get to the hen? We don't know whether they're friend or foe. But we do get the idea that there are other hens outside the protecting circle of Jesus, of Jesus' body there. And it reminds me of that image from John 10, where Jesus says, I have other sheep that don't belong to this fold, and I will gather them also. Sorry, I'm mixing my metaphors. We've now launched into sheep. Uh, but there we are. That, that circle of Christ's body does remind me a bit of a sheepfold. And do notice in that image of Jesus as the gate for the sheep that the gate is not closed, the circle is not closed, the gate is open always for more to come into the circle of Jesus' love. And then notice with just for those little birds, those little chickadees there, the hen in the picture I think has got three little yellow ch chickens you can find there. But can you see coming into land a bit like a, a plane on a runway, there's actually a little brown bird. And I like to think actually it looks a bit more like a sparrow. So there is room for everyone too within the circle of Jesus protecting, gathering love, even the sparrows. And as Jesus reminded us, God sees every sparrow fall and loves it still. That spacious, abundant love of God is there to include everybody under the wings of the all-embracing Christ. So today perhaps is a good day to bring ourselves just as we are with all the scattered and the broken fragments of our lives and to place ourselves again in that circle of Jesus' love, perhaps to identify with one of those little chickens or the sparrow. Maybe you feel a bit like one of those hens out on the perimeter. Jesus calls you to come in and say, here we are, we gather together. Gather us into your love, Jesus. Gather us in 
Jesus, who knows what it is to live in our world. Hear Jesus say to us and to our world, how often have I desired to gather you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? What will our answer be today? May we say, yes, Lord Jesus, here I am. Amen. Let's turn now to prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Lloyd.